Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 491. Royal Caribbean is going to be opening, officially now, its beach club in 2025. So this week, we're going to preview what this beach club in Nassau is all about. Here we go. So if you're like me, you might have been really excited about this idea. In fact, ever since I heard about the idea of a Royal Beach Club, I was super pumped for it because I love this idea that it's not quite a private island, but it is something else to do, a more curated experience that Royal Caribbean offers. So let's backtrack for a second because some of you may be hearing this for the first time. So pre-pandemic, Royal Caribbean announced this concept called the Royal Beach Club. Essentially, this is Royal Caribbean's own shore excursion, if you will. It's not meant to be a private island in which everybody on the ship can go to. It's meant to augment, not replace, a regular port stop. The first Royal Beach Club was actually supposed to be in Antigua, and I'm not sure what the status of that project is, but a second beach club was announced in March of 2020 for Nassau. Now, this area has not changed. The The intention of it was to be featured in the land on Paradise Island. That's across from where the cruise ships dock. If you've ever cruised into Nassau, there's a thin strip of land that has that lighthouse, and uh, if you continue looking off to your right, you would see at the Atlantis Resort. Anyway, that's where that was going to be. Now, the Antigua property, we're not sure what happened there, but the idea for the Royal Beach Club in Nassau was supposed to occur, and obviously that hit the pause button because the pandemic occurred, the cruise line shut down, and they just had to, you know, kind of just hit the pause button and all that. Now, prior to all of this, they had acquired a number of acres of land on that property, and the intention was they were going to use that land to create the second Royal Beach Club. Well, fast forward to today. And Royal Caribbean has confirmed that they're actually moving ahead with those plans and that it will open in 2025. So the idea basically is when you go to Nassau, you're going to have this option of going here. This would be exclusive to Royal Caribbean guests. So if someone's on a Carnival cruise or a Disney cruise, they can't go there. But if the capacity is not meant to, again, replace the entire capacity of everybody there, not to mention the fact that when you're in Nassau, more than likely, there will be more than one Royal Caribbean ship there. So, you know, if you're there on Allure of the Seas and Mariner of the Seas is there, the capacity, the total capacity is going to be shared among those ships. Something to keep in mind there. So the new area is going to open in 2025 and it will become the first Royal Beach Club. Again, who knows what will happen beyond that. So for today's episode, we're going to focus purely on the Nassau Beach Club. And you got to remember why this project is coming about. For a couple of different reasons. Number one, Royal Caribbean has had a pretty good relationship with the Bahamas, especially over the last couple of years. I've seen them invest more time and energy into becoming a partnership. I mean, the Bahamas is more than just NASA, right? Coco Key is a big component of that. Freeport, a little component of that. But Royal Caribbean, like many ports, has an agreement with the Bahamas. And part of that agreement is strategic in the sense that the cruise line promises a certain amount of passengers can go to their country. They're going to deliver a certain amount of passengers and in exchange, if you will, the country in question, in this case, the Bahamas, you know, promises certain things. Perhaps it is lower fees. You know, those taxes and fees you pay when you go to any island, every passenger is assessed a fee. This is kind of how the countries make money, among other ways, on people coming there. So by Royal Caribbean promising a minimum of a certain amount of passengers, obviously that's going to be revenue, right? The country is going to receive number one, a, a port fee tax for each single passenger going there. And then number two, the hope is that, you know, those people will also then go into the country, spend money, and through tax revenue, obviously, the country makes even more money. For Royal Caribbean, of course, 
There's other, I don't want to use the word kickbacks because I think that infers a kind of a shady connotation there, but there are certain other benefits that Royal Caribbean receives from the Bahamas. And, you know, whether it's with Coco Key or in this case, the, the beach club, we can definitely see that here because part of the 17 acre project is not just the land that Royal Caribbean acquired on its own. They had purchased a lot of private land, but there's also something called crown lease land. So this is land that is owned by the government of the Bahamas. Much of the land Royal Caribbean acquired from private parties, but four acres of the land are from Crown land. And this, according to Royal Caribbean, the Crown land will be contributed as equity in the new venture to ensure a share of the profits returned to the government and the people in this kind of agreement with the Bahamas. So it's kind of an interesting idea. And what's what really strikes me about this is it also goes towards, I think, a need. And if you've cruised before, and if you've cruised the Bahamas before, especially more than once, I think you've probably come to the conclusion perhaps, that Nassau may not be your favorite port in the whole wide world. Nassau has been a very popular port because, listen, it's, it's proximity. It's very close to the United States, so it's very easy to get there on almost any cruise. It has a large capacity for cruise ships. In fact, they're expanding the cruise ship capacity as we speak. They've been working for the last year or two on a port expansion project to be able to accommodate more ships. And so, you know, this has been a on, an ongoing procedure for them. But what I think Royal Caribbean sees is, well, we've committed and we still intend to bring a lot of people to the Bahamas, but feedback is obvious from our passengers. And I'm, and I say this, by the way, when I'm making these assumptions, I mean, this is kind of, you know, reading between the lines kind of stuff, not necessarily something Royal Caribbean has said, but the feedback has been, you know, well, the Bahamas are beautiful, certainly, but you know, I don't know. There's, it's just not that we don't love what's available over here. So Royal Caribbean saw an opportunity and, they looked at it and said, what if we built this awesome new place that's, you know, right across the way? So what is the Beach Club going to entail? Let's talk about that first before we kind of dig into the, you know, nuances of it. So the idea behind the Beach Club, and again, I'm basing this what we know because Royal Caribbean hasn't really said much about it. But Royal Caribbean's Environmental Impact Assessment is public information. And the EIA, the Environmental Impact Assessment, has to disclose certain plans because it's got to show that, here, we intend to do X, Y, and Z, and it's not going to affect, you know, the the negatively affect the, the environment. And basically, this is meant to be a, quote, world-class beach experience that all the family zone, water sports center, food, and even a swimming pool. Now, based on the, the renderings, and again, this could change because the environmental assessment, you know, I'm sure was accurate at the time, but having followed Royal Caribbean for many years, uh, plans change often. So, I wouldn't use this necessarily as the, the gospel truth of what to expect, but there's some really interesting ideas that Royal Caribbean has here. And it, it looks like essentially, let's call it Coco Key Light. You're going to have, uh, you're going to have inf inflatable water slides. You're going to have parasailing, you're going to have volleyball. There are pools uh, looking at the, the artwork. There's uh, a couple different pools. There's obviously beach, number of beaches, obviously a number of restaurants. You've got snack shacks. So some concepts being brought over from Coco Key. Some are kind of new here. Uh, there's a different pier. And to get to the island, or I don't call it an island. It's it's not really an island. It's a peninsula. To get to the beach club, you have to take a ferry. The idea behind the ferry is that you basically, you walk off your cruise ship, you walk to the end of the pier, and then you pick up the ferry from over there. And then the ferry would make, I think, a couple stops. I'm not sure exactly what the master plan will end up being. But the idea is that you could take the ferry not only to the beach club, but also to other places like maybe the straw market or something like that. Again, the intention, this is really important. Royal Caribbean is not building something 
to take away from the Bahamas in the sense that they're not going to say, okay, everybody on this cruise ship, yeah, see the Bahamas? Don't go there. Don't go to Nassau. Go to our private beach club. This is rather like, think of it, imagine Coco Key without anything but the Coco Beach Club. I guess that's the best ex- example I can provide in the sense that, or maybe even just forget, with just Coco Key in and of itself, with the beach club, right? If you go to Coco Key today, you have the choice of simply walking onto Coco Key and enjoying what's available in Coco Key, or you could spend extra for the Coco Beach Club. To me, based on what we know so far, that is kind of the idea here because the Bahamas doesn't want every single cruise passenger bypassing Nassau. They want people to go into Nassau because, of course, the owners and 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 the and everybody who operates a business in Nassau wants that business. So they would be you know up in arms if this all of a sudden there was a something that would take away their their customers. But this still offers the the cruise line the advantage of offering something a little more compelling but also not completely cannibalizing all the business of the Bahamas. And and my sense of it reading between the lines here is what that's kind of the, the goal of, of, of this entire project is. So, and again, we'll have to wait and see how it all kind of fleshes out and what ends up being the final concept for this. Because again, a lot of the information that we're seeing in terms of, you know, what the beach club is going to entail is based on primarily the environmental impact there. Because in reading through Royal Caribbean's release, and you know, you have to remember we have two basic sources of information on the Royal Beach Club, excluding the environmental assessment. The first is what Royal Caribbean said initially when they announced it back in 2020, and that's pretty much other than the name, it's all I, I don't know how useful it is. And then we have what Royal Caribbean announced here uh, earlier this month, and and kind of where we're going from there. So there's not much information if you read through the press release that Royal Caribbean announced here in March of 2023, there's not much. I mean, they kind of talked about the partnership with the Bahamas, the fact that it'll open in 2025, and and no, we have no idea when in 2025, whether that's January, July, or December, or anywhere in between, who knows? And all they have all said is that more information will be revealed, quote, in the coming months. Now, <laughs> coming months could be next month, or it could be in, like, December 2024. Who knows? But, you know, there's going to be a lot of, speculation up until this point. So I'm relying heavily on the environmental assessment impact because it provides us really the only source of guidance as to what Royal Caribbean is or was thinking uh, for this area. So there's going to be beaches uh, based on what I've seen. There are three beaches, Tranquility Beach, Hideaway Beach, Sapphire Beach. There's going to be cabanas. There's beach bars, bungalows. There's an artisan village, which is, you know, we can buy some local stuff. Uh, there's a pool. There's an adult's pool, a tidal waiting pool, food hall, tram service, restroom, snack shack, kids splash pool, and waiting pool. So with all that being said, you know, what should we expect? What do I look forward to? Number one, as somebody who's been in NASA a bazillion times, I love this idea, okay? Because number one, having seen what Royal Caribbean has done with Coco Key, I love a Coco Key light, a Co- uh, uh, something in that vein that is going to be right there and taking the ferry over there and being able to spend a couple of hours, I think, would be a great thing. Which reminds me, by the way, that we have to talk about how long the ticket is going to be. In the environmental impact, Royal Caribbean said that while visits to Nassau could last up to nine hours, that's the time in which, of course, the cruise ship is docked in Nassau, that the Royal Beach Club admission will include four to five hours admission, right? Plus, quote, additional time for shopping and other Nassau attractions. So the, again, the idea is not that you're spending all day here. You go here for a couple of hours, and then you're out to go do something else. Of course, who knows what the final product will look like. And then, of course, 
there's the price. And this is an interesting idea because I've been thinking about this a lot since it came out. If we had this conversation a year ago, let's say Royal Caribbean announced this a year ago, you know, number one, it's going to cost extra. Royal Caribbean in the uh, assessment said, I believe that the cost of this was going to have an extra fee. Quote, it is anticipated that with the payment of an entrance fee, the experience will include access to the Royal Beach Club, lunch, and the rental of a beach chair. For an additional fee, guests will be able to purchase alcohol and sodas, a cabana, daybed, clamshell, and participate in water sports and local tours. So it sounds like you're number one, you're going to have to pay to get in. And number two, if you want to upgrade that, you know, to do a cabana, kind of like we do Labadee or Croquet, you'd have to pay extra for that, which kind of makes sense. But how much will this cost? Again, a year ago, I would have thought nominal fee, right? But we've seen the prices for almost everything on Royal Caribbean. I mean, look at the prices for cabanas at Coco Key right now. I mean, they've just been going from expensive to super expensive to I can't believe someone would pay $4,000 for a cabana rental. But that's where it's at right now. And this is augmented, I think, by two things. Number one, Royal Caribbean's hurting for money. They, they, they still owe billions of dollars. They've got to pay it back, blah, blah, blah. Number two, people are paying it. We saw this since the pandemic and, and, and cruising restarting. People, I don't say people don't care, but there's all there is very much a thought process for a lot of people going on a cruise who go on the cruise ship and and in my opinion they think to themselves we're on vacation, YOLO, uh, we're gonna make the wor- best of it. And there's a cabana to book. Okay, we'll just pay for it. You know, LOL, and uh, we'll deal with the bill later on. And if you don't believe me, I mean, when you go to Coco Key and you look at the cabanas, I mean, there are people over there, right? I mean, the beach club, Coco Beach Club, people are willing to pay that money for $200 for the beach club and $150 for the water park. Um, This isn't a question. Maybe you don't want to pay it. That's, that's okay. I certainly, you know, at one point rationalized some of these cabanas as being worthwhile, but some of the new pricing is just like, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a head scratcher, but for a, a lot of people, I think the, the audience we're talking about here are a lot of people who are not cruising, certainly not once a month, maybe not even once a year. This is their, you know, hey, we're going on a cruise vacation. We're taking the family with us. You know, there very much is a, this thought process of, of it being a splurge, of it being a uh, treating themselves. And, and you know, I, this happens in a lot of cases of travel, not just cruise lines. But the point is that I really don't think this will be a cheap ticket. I could be wrong on this. I really don't know more than anybody here. But the more we're seeing the pricing trends this year across the board, the more I'm thinking this will not be a cheap ticket. Now, will I pay for it? Well, number one, you know, obviously when it first comes out there, yes, I'll definitely pay for it because I've got to, you know, I've got to, I'm using air quotes here, you know, for the purposes of the blog, but it'll be interesting to see how we look at it because a lot of people traditionally, I think, especially those who have been there, done that in Nassau, they will, we'll just stay on board the ship. Um, but you know, maybe this will be a really compelling idea because I think people like the idea of going to Nassau. And going to the Bahamas, like they, they, you know, if you look off the the ship, the water's absolutely beautiful. Usually the weather works really well in terms of temperature, right? So the the notion of getting off the ship and doing something would be very attractive. But I think up till now in Nassau, it has not been a, a great option for a lot of people to do something until they stay on board the ship. Now, when you have this Royal Caribbean walled garden, if you will, I think that's going to be a very interesting idea for a lot of people. We'll have to wait and see on that, but because it's limited capacity, so it's not like Royal Caribbean needs every single person on the ship to go there. And the fact that, don't forget, odds are you'll have more than one Royal Caribbean ship in port anyway. 
I don't think this will be an issue of selling it out. I mean, this will be, I, I think this is going to be a hot ticket by, by even at the whatever price they end up settling on. But the question is going to be, you know, truly, will you want to go there? Because we'll have to wait and see more details, obviously, because again, officially, there's very few details about what the project entails. Unofficially, we've been able to leverage the environmental impact assessment to be able to figure out what Royal Caribbean is thinking, and that could have changed, so who knows. But if everything, let's assume for a second, everything on paper that's in the impact materializes, and what we see there is pretty much the final product, you know, would I be willing to pay, I'll throw out numbers here, let's say we $200 a person, $300 a person, right, for adults anyway, because and you scoff at those numbers, they're charging that already for the Cocoa Beach Club in, in some cases, right? Would I be willing to pay that? You know, so when I let's let's take my family. So I've got two adults, my wife, me and my wife, two kids. So we're talking, let's say, right around or shy of a thousand dollars, whether it's eight hundred or thousand dollars for the day. That's a lot of money, right? No doubt. I'm not here to debate that topic. Now, if you look at how much it costs to go to Atlantis uh, Resort, if you want to buy a pass to their park, it ain't much that much far off from there. You know, um. It's, it's a good question. Why well, do it every single time? Well, the first time I almost feel compelled to it. I mean, I'm just excited. I'm just, you know, call me a fanboy because I am. I, I would love to be able to check it out and, and seeing my kids' reactions to it is worthwhile. But going there every single time, don't know. You know, I, I think it, it it's, it's number one, you got to be able to experience it. And number two, the other thing is, of course, the itinerary, you know, where the ports you're going to, how many, how many other beach days are you doing? But what I do like about the idea of it being a real Caribbean area is that it's a known entity, right? I mean, I've always enjoyed their private island experience, going back to, you know, the old Cookie and the old Labadee. Well, I guess Labadee is still kind of the old Labadee in many ways, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's a very attractive option for a lot of people. There's a lot of folks who love what the cruise line offers because it's a known entity. You don't have to worry too much about being, you know, bamboozled or, you know, uh, being harassed too much or, you know, walking into a bad situation it's an extension of the Royal Caribbean ship. Heck, sometimes the crew members you see there are the same crew members that you saw in the bars and restaurants on board your current ship. So, you know, it, it's familiar. And I think that's a very attractive option for a lot of people. So on the surface, I love the idea. I, I think number one, the question, I think there are two main questions for a lot of people. Number one, what is the final product going to look like in terms of like, you know, what amenities are going to be there? And number two, the other thing is, of course, how much is it going to cost? Because at the end of the day, we can all sit here and say how awesome anything is, but you know how much you're willing to pay to go there in terms of admission. Now, if it's less than that, you know, $200 mark, let's just say for for easy math here, you know, if you're talking about $100 a person, I mean, to me, that's a slam dunk in terms of going there. I know you got to pay extra for a cabana or something like that, but that would be you know nominal given you know where things are currently with with all things in, in cruising and shore excursions in general. I mean, you do a shore excursion in the Bahamas. Alaska, Europe, $100 a person is pretty much, I would consider, I don't want to call it cheap, but I certainly would consider it a healthy median. I'm not sure that I haven't done any math actually, you know, whether or not it really is the median, right? But, you know, there's a lot of tours that come in, you know, like a bus tour probably costs a lot less than that, maybe 50, you know, 30 bucks. And then you've got some other more intense tours that come in way above that $100. I mean, if you go to Alaska, $100 a person is cheap. Granted, Nassau and the Bahamas are not the same thing. You're totally right. I'm just trying to kind of, I feel like $100 a person is kind of a interesting middle ground there. Anyway, my point is, is that where the price for the beach club ends up falling will be 
something kind of, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I almost want to figure and you know, make a prediction here in 2023 and see what the price ends up being, uh, because who knows where it'll end up going. And of course, what'll happen beyond that? Because as we've all seen when the Cocoa Beach Club launched, you know, their pricing was at whatever it was and it has obviously ballooned since then. So you never know where things will go. So. Anyway, I'm, I'm curious to see. I hope you're excited for it as well because I think it's a really interesting idea. Again, it's not a private island. It's not a private, you know, enclave. It's just this other excursion run by the cruise line, which I, and Royal Caribbean has never done this before. I don't think other cruise lines have. I mean, I guess that's not true. Uh, Princess Cruise Line owns the the a couple of the the the, the train in in Skagway, but that's not exclusive to them. And I'm not sure a train and an entire beach area is quite the same thing, but. I'm not familiar with, outside of like a, a, a private island, if you will, experience cruise other cruise lines doing something like this. So anyway, it'll be interesting. Looking forward to it. And I hope that hopefully this will provide some context for everybody as we look into the next, well, two years from now when the Royal Beach Club opens up. All right, time to answer listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer emails you've sent me. And you can always send me your emails by saying to matt at royalcarmianblog.com. First email is from Ethan Cole. Hi, Matt. Love the show. I cruised a lot as a child with my family on Carnival, but now as an adult, I fall in love with Royal Caribbean. After my cruise on Adventure this season in January, I immediately booked another on Allure in October. Want to experience every ship size. My main question is, do you foresee any three-day getaways being planned in Galveston? I get a three-day weekend once a month and could totally swing a three-night cruise without missing work. Four days ends up being two extra days off of work. They don't like me doing that. Thanks again. I think the issue is logistics more than Royal Caribbean's desire to do that. I think in a perfect world, Ethan, sure, they'd love to. The problem is, in order to do a three-night cruise, you need to be able to get to, well, foreign port, in this case, Mexico. And I don't recall, I mean, I'm not sure if it's physically possible. I'm sure it is. I mean, actually, I, I take that back. Because in order for to do a three-night cruise, you've got to be able to, you know, one day is going to be a sea day because you don't have, you know, like in the Bahamas, as an example, they do Nassau and Cooter Key in one, one order or another. But the distance is so small that, you know, they can really, you know, putt around and get over there. My point is, is that I'm not sure logistically they can get to Mexico and back within that time frame. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm, I'm just saying that I'm not sure it's, it's feasible. As I mentioned, there's another issue, Ethan, which is just that cruise fares in general tend to be cheaper in Galveston than they do out of Florida. So I'm wondering if that has something to do with it in the sense that it might be too cheap for them to offer it and they prefer to have longer sailings. I don't know. I'm just guessing. So here's what I would say. You never know. I would, you know, if you, a couple of years ago, I never would have thought Royal Caribbean would do three and four night cruises on, on an Oasis class ship. And they're going to be doing that with Allure in Port Canaveral soon. So, you know, you never know. But I think the issue primarily, I, I almost think if they haven't offered it till now, there must be a reason. It's, to me, it's got to be logistics there. But I truly don't know more than you do, Ethan. So, yeah, I, I know if you got the built-in day off, gosh, it, there's no way you could possibly fly to Florida and do one, right? It's probably not practical anyway. Anyway, I digress. Thank you for the email. Next email is from Rob. 71 days till our Wonder of the Seas trip. We have eight people traveling on our group all from different parts of the country. If I check in the day it's available and get an 11 a.m. boarding time for my wife and I, but others don't check in as quick as I do and get a later time, are they able to board with me that morning? We're all linked through a travel agent together. I'm Emerald Status. So remember a couple of things. First of all, for the email, Rob. Number one, the time you get with Royal Caribbean is not your boarding time. It is your check-in time. So that is the time that you're allowed to go to the terminal and begin the check-in process. Your boarding time is not tied to that and it can be arbitrarily try to number different things there. So 
I think that's the most important concept to understand. And you might say, well, it's the same thing. It's really not, because depending on how the ship is doing in terms of turning around and being ready to board guests, you could be boarding completely different times. Also, don't forget sweet guests, get to board first. So the answer to, my, to your question, I think, is that um, will you be able to check in at the same time? Maybe not. The biggest issue with the check-in process is that depending on the person who's working at the terminal, some of them are far more flexible than others, let's say. So here's the thing. It doesn't matter. And I know you're saying, well, it does matter, man. I want to walk in with my family together. It'd be great. It's a family vacation. I totally get that. My point is, is that because if you don't have all the same time, which by the way, you could link your reservations together and, and be able to check in other people at the same time if that's an option for you. It's not too late already for that. I've been able to do that before for other people I've been traveling with. But uh, let's assume it's not the case. There's a couple things. First of all, when you, if you get into the terminal first, you don't have to board the ship immediately. Meaning, if you get into the terminal and your family and friends are coming a little later, you could wait around for them. There's a waiting area. You don't have to go and actually board the ship as soon as you could. I think you probably want to. Well, I would want to. But I'm just pointing that out as number one. Number two is they're not going to be that far behind you. Um, you know, if you get one drink ahead of them or you go in, and actually I would say this is almost advantageous. Go in there first and make specialty dining re reservations if you need to do that before for everybody else. You can do that. I've done that many times in which we had family and friends boarding later, and, and I would go on there first, and I would go to the restaurants and make the reservations. So, you know, there, there could be, a, look at it as a benefit, not necessarily a detraction there. But if you truly want to hold hands and walk on board the ship together, I get that. And in that situation, when you complete your check-in process and you're directed to go board the ship, there's a waiting area. And you're absolutely able to sit down there and, and, and wait for your friends and family to join you there. So that's something else to consider. But if it's not too late, if you haven't done the check-in yet, try to link your reservations together. And when your reservations are linked, you should be able to see their account when you log in. Certainly to your account, you'll see like your room and then you'll see their reservation number as well. I, and I say this because I do this all the time with my kids where I can see their reservation in another room. And I've done this also with other people in which our reservations are linked and I'm able to see their check-in there. So that's another option to do that. Worst case scenario, Rob, you could also just ask for their check, their login information, log in another web browser and, you know, get into there and get them a check-in time as well. But I'm trying to basically say that I wouldn't, I don't want to say don't worry about it because I don't want to be like dismissive of what your concern is. I, I totally get what you're trying to get to. I just want to be practical when it comes to uh, the realities of things. Our next email is from David. Hey, Matt, we're going on a road trip from Waterloo, Canada to Cape Liberty on a seven night Bahamas cruise on Oasis of the Seas in May. I was wondering if the ship may go past the Statue of Liberty. I know the ship would head south from the port, but does the ship first go up to give people a closer look to the statue? I've seen some forum posts saying that their ship has, but not sure if it's a regular thing. Also, it seems we're seeing a return of WoW bands. I'm hoping they're available for us and they're a great little purchase to make once on board. I highly recommend them to everybody. Dave, thanks for the email here. And the answer is it can depend. What you heard is basically what I've heard too. And I've seen them firsthand. In some cruises out of Cape Liberty, uh, you you just immediately departed head south in New York Harbor. You have to remember that where the port is situated, you can actually see the Statue of Liberty from the ship while still docked. Uh, Statue of Liberty is actually closer to New Jersey than it is New York. And uh, if you're on the side of the ship that's facing Manhattan, you'll be able to see Statue of Liberty clear as day. I mean, unless it's like super foggy. I mean, it's right there. It's pretty easy to see. Now, the ship could, instead of going direct out of the harbor, it could go more to the left, if you will, and take a leisurely stroll closer to the, to the Statue of Liberty. But 
as you've read, David, that's been my experience. Some cruises we've done that, and others, it's a straight beeline out. So you never know. I wouldn't plan on it. My best advice to you is if you want to see it, see it while the ship is still docked from one of the upper decks. Next email is coming to us from Paul. Hey, Matt, been watching your channel for several months now and wanted to get your opinion. We just completed a sailing from San Juan, Puerto Rico on Voyager of the Seas. We love the itinerary out of San Juan and have sailed on Adventure Freedom and just recently Voyager all out of San Juan. As you can tell, we love the Voyager Freedom class ships out of San Juan, but I noticed that after April 2023, there are none planned when in the past, they almost always had one Adventure Freedom Voyager Explorer, etc. I only see Jewel, which we'll probably not go on. Would you be able to comment or give your opinion? And if you think we'll see another Voyager Freedom class ship sailing out of San Juan as a home port over the next one to two years. Thank you for the email. And by virtue of the fact it took a little longer to answer your email, I already know the answer to your question. That is Rhapsody of the Seas will be sailing out of San Juan. But of course, you know, this idea of, you know, how big of a ship will be offering cruises out of Puerto Rico, you know, it's varied over the years. I remember back in 2013, one of my first cruises, back when the podcast first started, I had just completed a cruise on Jewel of the Seas out of San Juan. And then over the years, they seem to have increased the size of the ships going there. You know, we, we saw Voyager and Freedom class ships, and now they seem to be going in the opposite direction. But Paul, I guess my best answer to you is, you know, Royal Caribbean, like all ports, the ship deployments there vary from year to year. And sometimes they get hot and heavy and get some nice bigger ships. And other times it kind of takes a step back there. And it's a lot of it is just, it's, it's all based on money, right? And, and demand and where can the ships go? Generally speaking, gross generalization here. Like I said earlier about Galveston, San Juan is definitely one of those ports where the price on average is less than other ports. And, and part of that is because, of course, you know, it's hard to get to San Juan. You have to fly there as opposed to being able to drive to other places. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, usually you can find a better price for a cruise out of San Juan or Galveston or even Tampa compared to other ports like Cape Liberty or Port Canaveral or Miami. Um, there's discrepancies there, but I'm just making a generalization. So, you know, to answer your question, do you think we'll see another Voyager Freedom class ship in the next one to two years? Now we know the answer is no. Um, could that change over the, as time progresses? Yeah, we've seen them before. I think it stands to reason we'll see another again, but um, we're just not going to get them here in the next one to two years. Just the ebb and flow of cruise ship deployments. And time for one more email, and that is going to be from Bob. Wife and I's first cruise, Freedom of the Seas in April, and we will most likely get a photo package. My question is, how many photographers do they have on board and or locations to take photos? Thanks for all your work. I've been binge listening to all the podcasts. Is it five o'clock yet? Bob, thanks for the email. Appreciate you. Uh, so when it comes to the photos, uh, depending on the ship you're on, primarily the, the photographers that you're going to encounter are going to be on the Royal Promenade. On any given night, there's probably four or five locations, usually on the promenade, somewhat near the dining rooms. Again, it depends on the ship. If you're on a smaller ship, obviously there's no promenade, but you understand what I'm trying to say here. There's usually uh, on a couple different decks, different photo opportunities, and more so on formal night than non-formal night. But you should on any night be able to get, just for dinner, three or four photos in. And when I say photos, I mean photo stations. I mean, they'll take more than one photo at each station usually. So three or four photo stations there. Now, in addition to that, any port that you disembark at, there will be a photographer on the pier. When you walk on the ship, before you in the cruise terminal, there is a photo opportunity there. Now, in addition to all that, there are photographers that go through the restaurants, like the main dining room. They're not there every night, but some nights, I don't know. What, I, I gotta be honest with you guys, maybe this is a 
this is a hot take and everyone's going to disagree with me in here. I don't know why anyone wants a photo of them at the at the restaurant. I mean, <laughs> never seems like a good idea. I know it's like rooted in tradition, but I, I can see a lot of photos. That was not one that be looks appetizing. So I did it there, but I'm anyway. Um, and then occasionally, very rarely, there are photographers. I mean, they exist. It's just hard to track them down at like Coco Key. I've seen them walking around and you know in the pool or by the beach, but. There's like one or two and, you know, it's more luck that you'll actually run into them. So, you know, you can certainly get your photo package money's worth, certainly from dinner alone, or not dinner, uh, excuse me, from right around dinner time. Because the, the photos around the ship and the promenade are in the evening hours. You can get your money's worth out of there. You just got to make sure you go there every night and stop for, you know, two or four of those photo stations. I think that's the most important thing right there. So thank you, Bob, for the email. Thank you, everybody, for checking out the Real Green Blog podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to send me your emails, you can always do so by sending them to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again soon.